0: and women who are C-level executives with unique talents and positions. Our goal is to bring successful businesswomen together to share how they're leading the way in business today.
1: Most people have no idea how pervasive and entrenched sex trafficking and exploitation of our children is in our society. Yet, it's the fastest growing crime network in the world today. I'm Mary Van Dorn, your host for today, and I'm very glad to have with me Matt Osborne, the President and COO of Operation Underground Railroad. Operation Underground Railroad, who we will refer to as OUR for short, exists to rescue children from safe trafficking and sexual exploitation. Welcome, Matt.
2: Thank you, Mary. Great to be here.
1: You know, I want our audience to hear how you became involved in OUR, but if you don't mind... Would you think, what do you think is probably one of the most popular misconceptions about sex trafficking and exploitation?
2: I think for people in North America, United States, and Canada, they think, oh, these must be kids trafficked from Central America, Mexico, across the border. That's where it is. Absolutely not. These are local girls and boys in the U.S., in, the, in Canada, who make up the vast majority of trafficking victims in the United States. And we need to dispel that myth. These are kids who come from broken homes, runaways, kids who don't have the love they need at home, and we need to educate uh, parents to how to keep their kids safe. Secondly, I would say that we have to have men leading this charge as well because it's the demand side, and I think people don't realize that there are too few men out there who realize that this is trafficking and not prostitution, and these are victims and not volunteers.
1: And I think probably people don't recognize the pedophiles and people that are dealing with These children, because it's not like drug addiction or alcohol addiction. Those are signs you can see on somebody, right? And you'd look at a pedophile and you wouldn't know, and you might not identify. Sorry, yeah,
2: absolutely, Mary. It's a great question, and I always say, and, you know, not to, not to joke, but if you, if you don't laugh, you'll cry. Don't we wish that pedophiles and traffickers would have horns mm-hmm. in a tail walking around? <laughs> oh, that's the devil, that's them. No, it's mm-hmm. everyone. It's your coach, it's your pastor, it's your teacher, it's your titan of industry. It's everywhere in between. So your question is right on. We have to dispel that mixed conception as well. And how did you become involved? I was served 12 years in the United States with the Central Intelligence Agency and U.S. Department of State. I worked in Spain and Venezuela and Mexico fighting terrorism, organized crime, drug trafficking, and this thing I never heard of back in 2006 called human trafficking. You know a lot about it, Mary. I know you do the fight, sex trafficking, sexual exploitation, but I didn't know about this. I thought this was the movie Pretty Woman, the Julia Roberts character who, you know, was just out there on her own free will and accord boy, was I wrong. So I really worked hard in those years learning about this, fighting human trafficking. And then my graduate school roommate, or sorry, my graduate school colleague, and we'll talk about him, Tim Ballard. I knew him in the year 2000. Some 13 years later, he says, Matt, I want you to join this new organization I'm starting called Operation Underground Railroad. We're going to empower law enforcement in the U.S. and around the world. And I said, wait a sec, Tim, Uncle Sam in the U.S. pays me faithfully twice a month I've got government health care waiting for me, or the rest of my life, a pension waiting for me, In six years if I stick it out, you want me to leave an organization and join one where I only get paid if the donations come in? And he said, yes, that's exactly what I want. And so it was a big leap of faith. My wife, I think, thought I was crazy. My kids probably didn't know what I was doing. My dad said don't do it. But I am so grateful that I made that leap back in 2014.
1: But what convinced you? I mean, to say, that's not convincing. Um, you might not get a paycheck. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, for, yeah, absolutely. And again, my dad said, do you realize how few companies out there give pensions and you're giving up the security? But for me, it was using the skills I had learned in the CIA to saving children, to rescuing children. And that's what I wanted to do. And Tim Ballard is very convincing and brought me on board in the <laughs> early years of Operation Underground Railroad.
1: Well... There's the new movie out that we've talked about and fortunately is doing so well in the box office this week, uh, Sound of Freedom. That talks about how Tim Ballard at least started doing this, the beginnings of what motivated him and what he was going through. Can we talk a little bit about that because that ties in so much with our, our talk today.
2: Absolutely. Tim was a very successful special agent with the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and Homeland Security Investigations. He worked for 12 years going undercover to rescue American kids, to arrest American pedophiles. Well, the problem for Tim was, and it was faced by all government officials, they could only work cases that had a U.S. tie that would wind up in a U.S. court of law. Well, he realized the vast majority of children were out of that network then. They were in Central America and Canada and Europe and Australia and Africa all around. So he decided to start this organization. Well, as you see in The Sound of Freedom, and some of your listeners now have perhaps seen it, or hopefully will in the coming weeks, it was really Tim's wife, Catherine Ballard, who told Tim, you can do this. You need to do this. We can survive without a steady government salary and pension, but this is, think if it was your own child. And there's a scene in the movie where Mira Sorvino, who plays Tim's wife, Jim Caviezel, who plays Tim Ballard, and that actually happened, that dialogue where Catherine Ballard said, You go save those kids. We can do it. And it's really incredible to see that type of family support. And then as I thank my wife and my two college-age daughters now, several years ago, obviously they were younger, they really supported me because it was a big leap of faith to take a flyer on this new organization, not knowing if it would survive more than a few months or not.
1: Well, yeah, and in in your gut, right, you think, yeah, we can survive without a paycheck, but these children will not survive without us. That, and when I was watching the movie, that's what I had to keep reminding myself, thinking, this isn't a movie. This is real. Can we talk a little bit about how this happens in our communities here, not only here in the United States, but also abroad, because it, it comes back to us, as you've mentioned, that we're one of the top consumers of this.
2: It is sad to think that Americans are the number one consumers and producers of what we used to call child pornography. Now we call it child sex abuse material. And the U.S. is the number one supplier of child sex tourists, men mostly going overseas to have sex with kids, with minors to abuse them because they don't think law enforcement is going after them overseas. And But yet this happens every day in every corner of the world, every corner of the United States. It happens in in large cities and small towns because of the demand side this is the fastest growing criminal enterprise as you mentioned at the outset and sound of freedom tries to talk about one part of this it's to start out in the movie the domestic side where there are actual cases that tim worked in homeland security and then it talks about the international side the movie is based on a true story inspired by real events almost everything that happened is true in some respect in terms of what we went through at Operation Underground Railroad and I'll put one plug on our website OURrescue.org we have a page called based on a true story except the parts that aren't and we lay out very <laughs> clearly what is true and what is not.
1: <laughs> um, how do they get the children? I, I know in the movie but I don't think our audience necessarily knows how easy it is for them to trap our children. I know you said sometimes it's children who are from broken homes etc but what actually are they doing to Because when I was growing up, the worst thing that we worried about was somebody being kidnapped. And in those days, we just thought, oh, you're kidnapped for ransom, right? They're going to send the ransom note because your parents are wealthy. But the Internet has changed that so much.
2: You know, Mary, that's another great question. What we always say, we use the movie references, right? I talked about Pretty Woman a minute ago, the movie Taken with Liam Neeson. You'll remember that. And I apologize mm-hmm. to your listeners. I'm not nearly as cool as Liam Neeson. So I hope I don't <laughs> let anybody down. That guy's really cool. But the issue there is, you know, there's, there's a risk that we think, oh, as long as we just don't let our children go to Europe, they, they, you know, they won't get kidnapped or trafficked. In the United States, in North America, the vast majority of exploitation happens online, through social media, through apps, where these groomers are out there looking for children. They're trying to get them to provide compromising material, maybe a picture, maybe a nude photo, something suggestive. They can maybe doctor it with AI or somehow Photoshop, and they can then say, well, I've got this blackmail. I'm going to send this to your parents or your church leader or your school unless you do things for me. Then secondly, when we talk about the broken homes and kids who aren't getting the love at home, they, these groomers are out there looking for kids who have vulnerabilities. And it's sort of, you remember from school, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Well, do they need food, shelter? Do they need just to be loved? Do they need a sense of belonging? And so we always say to parents is just keep an open dialogue with your child. Make sure you know what they're looking at on social media. Make sure you know what information they're putting out there and warn them in a healthy way that there are predators out there, there are groomers out there, and they have to be very careful. And then if anything were to happen to them, they need to tell someone. They need to tell their parent. They won't get in trouble because the worst thing would happen is something does occur to the child and then she or he says, I can never tell my parents or they will, they'll be mad at me. Well, that's how these groomers and traffickers lure them deeper and deep into their networks.
1: And how many children a year?
2: So the FBI estimates there are uh, over 100,000 new kids at risk every year. Uh, And this is in a global industry that's $150 billion, and that's all forms of trafficking, forced labor, commercial sex, sexual exploitation. Where I live in Dallas, Texas, it's estimated to be a $99 million-a-year industry, and 400 teens are estimated to be on the streets and online exploited every night. That's just one little snippet. So can you imagine, Mary, what this is countrywide and worldwide? It's really astounding what the numbers are
1: yeah because you said a hundred thousand new children a year but they're in this trapped in this environment for years so at any given time there could be millions
2: exactly and what i always say is i don't know what the numbers are I, i see the statistics but with operation underground railroad i've led 25 rescue operations overseas and every single one of them has resulted in this way Within minutes of hanging out in the tourist areas, beach, bar, wherever it is, dance clubs, I'm approached by someone trying to sell me everything from a jet ski ride or parasailing to drugs Mm -hmm. to alcohol to girls. It's that quick. And then within an hour, talking to someone across the table who is a human trafficker. That just shows to me the supply that's out there, but it's because of the demand. There's a demand for this, and we really have to do a better job, I think, of addressing that
1: and it's not all for women or little girls.
2: Correct. Our numbers are about 75 or 80% women and girls, 20 to 25% men and boys in terms of commercial sexual exploitation.
1: And how long how young are these victims? How old are they?
2: The stats I've seen are the average age that a child is brought into the sex trade is between 13 and 15 years old. Now think about how disturbing that is, any age, right? Any victims disturbing mm-hmm. but you imagine there are probably a good number of women who are brought in in their late teens or early adulthood. That then means that if this number is correct, there are equal numbers who are the really young children who are being brought in. And that's just what makes me so depressed when I think about that.
1: Yeah, because you said even 13 and up. At 13, they're just going into eighth grade. They're still in junior high.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, they yeah. Have no, and there is a
2: demand. I was just going to say the demand for a younger child, it's getting younger and younger for a variety of reasons that we can talk about if you want, but it's the over-sexualization of our culture. You see the objectification on social media and the movies, but in a lot of ways too, it's an addiction to pornography, and that's what we're seeing, that with Operation Underground Railroad, the suspected traffickers, sex buyers, who we end up helping law enforcement arrest, almost every single one of them when interviewed afterwards had some sort of pornography addiction that led them to actually be exploiting children to actually be uh, uh, using them and abusing them.
1: I had a conversation with a friend of mine that is a sex therapist here in Orange County, California. And I asked her why she went into that work. And she said, because of what it leads to. And she said, there is a shortage of sex therapists. She said, and I said, well, how do they get started? She said, 95% of the time, it's their wife that calls me. And she said, almost all of the time, it starts with online pornography
0: yes
2: yeah it is it's that easy and again so i'm 51 years old i think about when i was a youth and again i wasn't a bad kid but if i wanted to look at pornography i have to work for it i'd have to get a guy who was over find a guy who's over 18 or 21 years old hey go into that corner 7-eleven you remember where that magazine mm-hmm. is wrapped up in the corner where all you see mm-hmm. is playboy and that was just mm-hmm. pictures now as you know it's cell phone it's laptop it's there in your face it's violent that is really, and I think the studies are just now coming out, so we'll know more in the months and years to come, just how much of a tie there is between online pornography and sex trafficking.
1: It's incredible. Let me pause for just a second here. I want to give a word out to our sponsor. Women Lead Radio is brought to you today by Connected Women of Influence and our partner, Microsoft. Microsoft's mission is to empower every person and organization on the planet to achieve more. Microsoft believes technology is a powerful force for good and are working to foster a sustainable future where everyone has access to the benefits and opportunities created by technology. Microsoft believes technology can and should be a powerful force for good and that meaningful innovation can and will contribute to a brighter world in big and small ways. Thank you for your support Microsoft and to all our sponsors and partners. Can you tell me, Matt, a time where maybe you thought I can't do this, I, I, I need to regroup, I, this is too much. Was there time in the beginning, especially maybe, or even now sometimes, I'm, I'm sure this, this world is constantly evolving in also not a good way.
2: I will use two quick examples. One was very early on in the career of Operation Underground Railroad in 2015, where we went down just south of Cartagena, Colombia, and we went into an area known for exploiting children And there was more than I could ever, ever imagine in the bar, outside the bar. And that was when I realized I can't save them all. I I can't help them all. And I was so sad that night. I got into a fetal position. I called my wife. I said, I can't do this. And she said, just make a difference for one. Just start there. The parable of the starfish, right? Throw that one back in the water. Save them. And that really helped me realize, okay, let's just try to save one and then five and ten and a hundred. So that was the first one. Then the second one, when we were just a few years ago in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and we had a big rescue where we got 10 Venezuelan women out of a brothel in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, out of terrible conditions, got them out, but yet over the next four days, we were sort of running for our lives from safe house to safe house, hotel to hotel in Haiti because the girls didn't have their passports. We were trying to get those. We were being chased, Mary, not only by the traffickers, but by our former friends in the Haitian National Police who had been bought off by the trafficker. And that's when I told my wife, if I ever get out of this, I don't think I'm ever doing this again. And spoiler alert, (laughs) I did get out. I did get out okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
1: that's funny. My next question to you, I was going to ask you, because you're going into some of these countries that we know the government is corrupt and there's corruption within the police forces, et cetera. Right. how, How do you feel secure going into an operation when you're in sync, when you're depending on these local law enforcement that they're not going to sell you out or things are not going to collapse. And, and if they do, what do you do? I mean, here you said you were running around from place to place, but like, what's the backup plan?
2: You know, we, we, again, we joke, we try to keep it light heart. Otherwise we'll all end up crying. We say that oftentimes it's not the traffickers who scare us the most. It's our friends and the host government. It's those <laughs> who are, who are working with us because you never know. Now, I will say that we get to work with amazing partners overseas who really are trying to do the best they can with very few resources, Uh, whereas I would never trust any of these countries to work with them in the drug trade because of the corruption and that everyone's Mm. been bought off. Human trafficking still exists, but I still have found very few who are not willing to work with us to save children. But how do, we, you know, how do we reduce our risk? You can't eliminate risk, you can only reduce risk. Mm-hmm. So what we do is we only use units in a country vetted by the U.S. Embassy. So if the U.S. Embassy doesn't work with them, we won't work with them. If the U.S. Embassy does work with them, then we will as well. Then when we get with the host partners and we say, hey guys, just so you know, the U.S. Embassy knows we're here. Just so, if you're thinking about doing anything, the U.S. Yeah. government is aware. But at the end of the day, and I'll wrap up on this part here, You can't eliminate risk from your life. You can only reduce it as much as possible. And we're a group of men and women at Operation Underground Railroad where we will take calculated risks but not dumb risks. But if it's a calculated risk where we think we can save children, we're going to do it. And if something happens to us, we hope one day we can meet our maker and say, well, I was just trying to save your precious children, right? We don't have death wishes, Mm -hmm. but we are willing to take risks.
1: A couple of things about, I think, what's important about the story of Sound of Freedom and I think Tim has, has said this, and he, he talks about when Abe Lincoln met Harriet Beecher Stowe, She yeah. had written Uncle Tom's Cabin, and he said to her, you're the little lady who wrote the book that started this war, the Civil yeah. War. Um, and I think that's what's so important about this movie. It, it is telling a story and hopefully inspiring other people that are seeing the movie to go out and start telling the story as well in their communities.
2: Mary, I love that you use that. That's one of my favorite stories when I'm out speaking. And again, Abraham Lincoln, as you just said, you're the lady who wrote the book that started this war. So in Operation Underground Railroad, we want to be the organization that puts out the movie or the documentary that starts or continues the war against human trafficking. We're using entertainment, and I know that sounds, right, kind of crazy entertainment. You've seen Sound of Freedom. You know that it's heavy, but it's well done, I hope you would say, and it's powerful yeah. and impactful. That's what we want to do. We want to bring women and men to the movie theaters. We want them coming out of that movie saying, okay, there's something I can do. Can I pray for this group? Can I donate to this group? Can I connect this group with law enforcement contacts I have or politicians or aftercare homes? Can I post on social media? Can I educate my school? Can I talk to the school board? anything and anywhere in between someone can do something and that's what we're trying to do through sound of freedom and through the other documentaries that operation underground railroad has put together
1: and i think it's incredibly important that people not only here but around the world feel that sort of help is on the way right whether it's us feeling that we're going to be able to help them over there or them knowing it's coming so to have hope that we can make a difference and you're so exposed to these atrocities we, you talked earlier about what gives you hope is, is the starfish story, and if I can save one, I can keep going with it. And that's kind of what keeps you right. fighting the good fight, right? Um, most of our audience are women from different parts of the world, and they certainly have families that some, from some countries that we've talked about. How can we empower them, number one, to protect their families and communities around the world, and number two, support the work of O U R. Well, thank
2: you so much for that, and we really, even though this is a man's issue in terms of the demand side and we have to educate men, Mm -hmm. this fight for decades and decades has been led by women, and you look at a lot of the abolitionists and you look at the, the modern day abolitionists, we have seen that being led by women, so what I always say is concentric circles, women, you are amazing, you're amazing in yourself and in your careers and the influence you have, then in your families, nurturing and protecting, then in your community so speak up get out there and first again educate your kids educate your communities and then to support operation underground railroad i know you'll be putting our website out to you so much ourrescue.org ourrescue.org has many ways that people can get involved there is some, you know, there's, there's reason for optimism. I am such an optimist, even despite what I've seen and the horrors that I've seen, because we have seen in our aftercare program, victims become survivors and survivors become thrivers. And that is really what keeps us going. You can focus on those who you can't save or those who you save and then they go back into it because their mother sold them into this or because they had trauma that couldn't be overcome. We don't focus on that. We try to help. We focus on those who are now doctors and lawyers who have their own business and who are anti-trafficking activists, that, in Mary, is what keeps us going every single day.
1: I think also so much of the success of OUR, besides the incredible guys that are out there may, do, running these missions and the whole support team that they have back um, supporting those missions and doing all the investigation and the implementation, all of that stuff. But then in addition to that, once you free these victims, and you go in, you have set up in all of the countries that you work, right? You have aftercare set up. Right. We talked briefly about that because we're going to come back another episode and talk more in depth about it. But I just want to leave that kind of that little bit of hope and, and that reassurance that we just don't pick up the kids and take them back to their countries. Can we give a little talk about how we handle that aftercare?
2: So we in Operation Underground Railroad are a very transparent organization. We admit when we make mistakes. The first few months of our existence in 2014, we weren't thinking about aftercare. Tim Ballard was Homeland Security. Matt Osborne was CIA. We had Navy SEALs. So we would rescue kids in a country and expect the country could take care of them. Well, in the Dominican Republic in 2014, we rescued about 20 kids and I think like 10 of them went back in the streets and we were heartbroken. We stopped our rescue program until we got an aftercare team in place. Now we do not go into a country until we first see what the aftercare infrastructure is. Are there beds available? What's the trauma-informed care going to look like? And that is what we've been trying to do for now for many years and it's been very successful. We want to stay with these kids as they go through into adulthood. Now some of them don't accept our care. We obviously offer it. We're willing to go through. Do they want college education? Do they want microcredit loans to start a business? And that is what's really neat to show is there is hope. And we've heard many of the survivors say, I never knew that I could have hope again when I was in the deepest, darkest recesses of this trafficking network. No one was looking for me. Well, fortunately, Operation Underground Railroad was looking for these kids and God led us to them to be able to help them, and now so many of our survivors are leading leading such active lives, and as they now become adults, they're gonna be able to tell our stories, and tell their stories on our social media. They do it appropriately. That, to me, Mary, is what keeps me going every single day.
1: I bet, I remember hearing a story, I think I saw an interview with Tim, somebody was interviewing him, and he was talking about one of the survivors from probably 10 or 12 years ago, and how he's running an operation in his country that he's gone back and he's working to help rescue people or set up an aftercare or what have you. And I thought, That's a, man, yep. man.
2: <laughs> yeah, and real quick on that, just because we're talking about Sound of Freedom, for those of you who've seen it, Mary, you've seen it. If you remember the boy with the curly hair, Simba. So Simba yep. uh, is, is actually a real person, based on a real person. We'll, we'll call him uh, Mario. It's not his real name. We'll say Mario. So Simba was based on a boy we rescued in that beach operation. He's now an OUR ambassador in, in Cartagena. He's now going into the streets educating people about the dangers of human trafficking. Don't let what happened to me happen to you. That is what you're talking about, and that's what really makes all the difference in the world, to see these people now who have first-hand experience taking the fight directly to the traffickers and supporting those most vulnerable.
1: And that must be such a huge part of his recovery. I don't know that they ever fully recovered, but that has to be huge for them.
2: Yeah, he absolutely did. And do you realize that one day he met a trafficking victim who was pregnant, and she was going to abort the baby, and he said, do not do that. I will adopt the baby, and now he's a father Mm. of this child. Think about saving lives. Think about breaking the chain of this exploitation. I mean, you can't write this. I know we do movies and documentaries, but it's all based on true stories.
1: Yeah, I, that, I when I was watching the movie, I had to keep saying, "This is real." I mean, it you just get wrapped up, and it's such a good movie. It's such a good movie that you start <laughs> thinking you're just watching a movie, and you have to say, "No, I'm not." Um, we are going to have three more episodes. Our next episode is August 18th, and it's going to be at the same time. It's a Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And during that episode, we're gonna we're gonna be talking to local law enforcement when i say local i'm talking about domestic because i I want everyone to realize how important it is here in the states as well and i'm sure the same sort of stuff is going on in other countries but we're going to talk about locally local law enforcement and community leaders and what they're doing across the nation we're going to touch a little bit on the just discuss the methods technology tools that are being used and one of my favorite tools to talk about are the canines uh, can you tell us a little bit about the canines before we wrap up just because it's a, a happy spot for me
2: it's love them love them so everyone's heard of a bomb sniffing dog or a drug sniffing dog there are dogs that can sniff out the glue compound in microelectronics that are in cell phones usb thumb drives sd cards everywhere where child pornographers keep their child sex abuse material these dogs cost about fifteen thousand to twenty thousand dollars to train OUR has placed about 60 to 70 of the 100 dogs in existence today. These dogs, Mary, are making a huge, huge uh, <laughs> positive impact because these pornographies, these child predators, hide the little stuff. Think about how easy it would be to hide a thumb drive in a house, your whole house. Humans can't see it oftentimes with their eyes. These dogs come and sniff it out, and these guys are getting arrested because of it. So I'm so grateful that you're featuring the K9 program.
1: And I also saw in one of the interviews I saw, that they actually bring comfort to their handlers like when they're having a tough day in the office and and that dog sense that this is a tough one for him and when it all (laughs) quiets down you know dog's head is on his lap it's like oh my gosh incredible to the
2: handlers and to the survivors as well these dogs are comfort Mm -hmm. dogs but the minutes like let's go to work they're up they're ready because they're food motivated they don't eat unless Mm -hmm. they're training and finding devices so they know what to do
1: (laughs) but then the the Children that are rescued get to meet these dogs sometimes
2: yeah yeah they do we have videos on our website and our YouTube channel it's really neat our canine program is as you just said really one of the cutest sweetest things that gives us hope
1: that's wonderful well I can't thank you enough Matt for coming on and being our if I say our leading man and a special thanks to all our listeners both here in the US and international and as we are an international show Um, After our show, you can listen to Women Lead Radio on all your subscription podcasts, specifically Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. It has been my sincere pleasure to host this today. We will be back August 18th with the next episode. Look forward to hearing or tuning in with all of you and more from Operation Underground Railroad. Thank you so much for joining us, Matt. I truly appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much. Women Leading the Way is produced by Connected Women of Influence, the premier private membership organization where light-focused business-to-business executive and professional women connect, collaborate, and cultivate a vast network of high-level affiliations, resources, and professional relationships. For more information about Connected Women of Influence, please visit our website at connectedwomenofinfluence.com.